Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Bioptimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Laughing Dragon. Yeah, you heard that right. He changed his name to Laughing Dragon, and he is an Amanita muscaria mushroom forager. So if you're not familiar with that, it is basically a legal psychedelic, which is why I wanted to have him on the show, because I talk a lot about psychedelics and how they've helped me throughout this podcast, but most people don't want to go find a dealer or, you know, do something that's illegal, which I totally understand. I totally get it. We're kind of in that gray area where we're hoping things will get legalized in the future. But for right now, it's still kind of uh, rough waters when you're trying to go purchase or find some of these psychedelics that we talk about. So Amanita muscaria is technically legal. It's because psilocybin is the compound that is scheduled. 
and Amanita muscaria works with a completely different compound that's psychoactive. So you take the Amanita muscaria at nighttime and it's really mellow, really chill. You don't really have a psychedelic experience, in my opinion, on any type of microdose or even on an intermediate dose. I didn't feel like I would off psilocybin. I was just very chill, very calm, had some cool dreams, slept really well, and then I had more energy the next day and I felt really good. So this can be an easy starting place for somebody who doesn't want to seek out and find some of these psychedelics. I'll link his website in the show notes. He has these tinctures that are already pre-made, which is really, really cool because Amanita muscaria does have a toxic compound in it that you do need to boil out for like 30 minutes to an hour, which can be kind of annoying when you're just trying to make a little tea for like a nightcap. You can use his tincture and you can easily microdose it out that way. And he's already got the toxic compound pulled out of it for the tincture, or you can buy the raw mushrooms and make the tea if you want to. And you can make like a few days at a time and put it in the fridge. So there are ways to do it for both. I mean, it's not really that much more expensive to just get the tincture. And I found that a lot easier. I would just take it with my uh, sleep supplements at night. So this is really cool. We got into suicide and what he thinks happens when people do commit suicide, how he was going to, was planning to commit suicide. And then he did an ayahuasca ceremony. He was living down in Brazil. So really fascinating guy. I think he's super intelligent and I think, um, he's really paving the way for Amanita Muscaria. So enjoy. Laughing Dragon. Welcome to the show. How's it going? What's going on, man? How you doing? Man, doing great. I'm super excited for this show. It's super interesting. I heard you over on Luke Story's podcast and got to try out some of the products and Obviously, I've played around with different psychedelics in the past, but had never really done Amanitas. And it was super funny, the timing of it, because uh, my wife just went on like a, a bachelorette party. And one of the days they went out like foraging and uh, they picked some Amanitas and the the guide told them they were they were poisonous. And so she comes home and I'm literally microdosing Amanita tinctures and I'm boiling the Amanita caps. And she's like, what the hell? Those, those are toxic. Aren't they poisonous? I'm like, they, they're, they can be if you don't do it correctly. So I had to like explain everything to her. She's like worried about me kind of super funny. Yeah. 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 It's funny that people, they still have this notion that Amanita is like so deadly. Like, you know, you just touch it and you'll, you know, faint or something. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very obvious from even a small amount of research that Amanita is not really deadly. Um, there's no reported cases of people actually dying from it. Um, there's, I think there's been, there's been, a, there's been maybe two or three cases ever in medical history where they suspect Amanita caused a person to die. Mm -hmm. And this is, these were people who consumed, we're talking like huge portions, like 10 giant caps raw, of Amanita raw, not pre pre prepared in any way. And uh, like this consumed this way, yes, it can be dangerous because the raw Amanita contains ibotenic acid and ibotenic acid, when you cook it, when you prepare it properly, is converted into mucimol. Mucimol is an active ingredient in Amanita. And so that's where you get the magic. Now, uh, understanding this, Amanita is roughly as dangerous as potatoes. If you don't, if you eat uncooked potatoes, you you can die from it. It's true. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's it's basically the same thing. 
force feed yourself a bunch of raw amanita mushrooms, yeah, you might get real sick. Um, and you might be pushing the limits of mortality. <laughs> but if you want to push the limits of mortality spiritually instead of physically, then just try preparing it as tea before you consume it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I want to get into all the dosings and the preparations a little bit later, but I want to dive into a little bit of your backstory because I've done a little research on you. All right. And sounds like you had some little bit of traumatic experiences growing up. You want to like kind of give us a little backdrop on like what your household looked like, maybe some of the things you went through that kind of led you down your depression, your chronic illness, things like that. Um. Yeah, I won't go too deep into it, but uh, yeah, I had an extraordinarily chaotic household. There was never peace when I was a child. Um, both parents, heavily heavy drinkers, uh, a lot of negligence. Um, I, when I was uh, a teenager, when I got to high school, uh, there was so much chaos in the home that I was just, I was all messed up. And so I couldn't make friends as a teenager and I was getting bullied. And um, I had to find a way to get out of that. And life created this really horrible uh, storm of things that all happened within the span of a few years where things got really, 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 really bad and didn't ever seem like they were going to improve. And this basically started when I was like 15. Uh, I couldn't really handle all of the, the trauma that was going on in my family. And through conversations with my therapist, he gets the idea that I'm planning on committing suicide, which I had been talking about a lot. So, uh, instead of trying to get like, you know, family members to help or trying to, for my, you know, my, my parents found out about this, instead of trying to look for family members or trying to find some like solution to the problem that would have been, you know, therapeutic or healing, um, they shipped me off to what, what is called a residential treatment center. I don't know if you heard of these places. No, no. Okay. A residential treatment center is a, is a prison to be clear. It is a prison for teenagers and it is designed to reform the teenager from a, a troubled teen into a respectable citizen or whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. And the way they go about this is uh, they have isolation chambers. They have uh, various types of manual labor for you to do if you mess up. Um, they have uh, a whole set of rules that if you do anything wrong whatsoever, you, uh, you are punished pretty brutally. And as I mentioned, like, yeah, if you get in, like a physical, physical fight, if they catch you, then they would throw you in the chamber. Um, they had as well, like these really, uh, uh, really weird out outings. They would have like, if, like if they would, they would take you out of the program for like 27 days or something, like almost a month and make you force march through the woods with these, uh, ex rangers. Um, and that was, that was another crazy punishment they had. 
Um, they had all sorts of things they were doing basically to force you to behave like a good person. Force. It was all force. And if you didn't go along with it, you were punished and you couldn't, you couldn't leave the place. You couldn't speak to family members. You, you could, oh, you could speak to them once a week, but you couldn't call friends. You couldn't phone anybody. You had no internet, no money, couldn't, couldn't leave. Can't do anything. You're a teenager. They can beat you up if they feel like it. And sometimes they would beat people up. They would staff. Uh, the kids would, would attack each other all the time. Um, you know, I, I was attacked many, many times. And yeah, it, it was just, um, uh, a, a torturous experience. And it was, it was at the hands of my parents. Like they knew what was they were doing and they did it anyways. <laughs> and they knew all the stuff that I'm telling you. Um, and so, uh, I didn't understand, I didn't have an understanding of life at this point. I was a teenager and I was just trying to figure things out. I just wanted to understand like, what is life about? What am I supposed to do? You know, is there a meaning to this? Is there God? I just, I didn't know. I was a teenager. And then all of this happened. And two and a half years go by of this place, plus these other weird places, which I won't go into. I finally get out of all of this at the age of 18. And as soon as I get out of this, I'm like, okay, I'm free. I'm going to, I'm going to go like live my life. I'm going to go, uh, you know, travel the world. I'm going to do whatever I want. And this was my plan. And a month after I came back to the home, uh, my older brother committed suicide out of nowhere. I had no idea that it was going to happen. I literally came home one day uh, and I heard a phone ringing. And I wasn't mine, so I just watched TV. And there was no one home, which was weird, but I was just sitting there, okay. And the phone was ringing and it kept ringing and it kept ringing. Someone was calling this phone like insistently. And so I said, oh, whatever. So I, I, I went upstairs to where it was and I went to find the phone. And as I picked up the phone, I saw my brother's suicide note. That was how I found out that he was suicidal. And I had no idea that he was even depressed. I had no idea that it was a complete surprise. Um, he had attempted it previously and my, my family knew, but they didn't like tell anyone. They didn't tell me for sure. So, um, all of this. And when I entered adulthood, I had, I was, broken i was just fucked i had i just said fuck life i had no concern for anything anymore and i don't i don't think you it, i was very self-destructive during those years despite all of despite all the trauma and everything i still managed to function and i managed to go to college and i was a professional athlete for many years i did triathlon and it was, you know, I was sort of just hanging on because what I wanted to know was, um, I just wanted all my pain to stop. I just wanted to be not pain anymore. I was tired. I didn't want pain. And so I was always thinking about suicide during these years because I thought that was going to be what ended my pain. And 
I, every single day, you know, I was in college, probably every single day I thought about it. Sometimes multiple times a day. There were times I remember like, you know, if I get stuck in this traffic, I'll just like drive off the edge of the bridge, like crazy stuff like this. Um, and I had no idea how to get out of it or what to do. Now, this eventually uh, led to me uh, succeeding, actually, externally. Like, I got to the point where I was, I had a good job and, like, I was, had a decent life, but I, there was no purpose. Like, there was no meaning because I was, like, I'm like, what's the point of all of this? You just get tortured and there's, there's no consequences. Nobody, there's no justice. There's no fairness. There's nobody cares about you. You know, this is what this world is. I don't want to be in this world. And uh, so I discovered some things in the end of 2012 that really opened my eyes. There was things about spirituality. There was things about reincarnation I learned, things about how emotions affect water. And I, I learned these things. And, and I, as soon as I saw that emotions actually have like an impact on the external environment, I was completely changed. Uh, I had never thought that emotions do anything externally, right? Because we're kind of taught this way. We're sort of taught to like, you forget your emotions. You just use your logic. When we're in school, we're supposed to be, be like that. You're supposed to not, you're supposed to not pay attention to how uncomfortable you are, that you're forced into this like uncomfortable fucking desk. It's got like a bar on it. <laughs> and you have to just like sit there and take it and like listen to what the teacher says and not complain. Right. And so you're trained to force your logical mind to function in a certain way and it disregards your emotions. And this is, I think the start of where uh, people get disconnected, you know, from their mind and their, their, their heart. Anyways, when I learned that emotions affect reality, uh, I left the U S complete. I just left my whole life behind. I was like, I have to start over. I have to, you know, find a new way to live because how am I supposed to, I was living, I thought death was going to fix my problems. If you're saying it's not, oh shit. I better change. Because yeah. I, I had. I want to back had, up a little bit before we move, go to the South America part, because I know that is a big sure. like, jump and steep. So, when you, basically it sounds like the home was chaotic, you were actively showing signs of the depression and the suicidal ideations and ideas allergies and so you go to this kind of almost militaristic boot camp style where it's not really rehabbing you it's kind of just trying to force you into being a better citizen or whatever they're trying to do to kind of show you some tough love you know you know standard american type of thing but your brother is feeling the same way but not maybe showing the characteristics as much and then you deal with all of that and then you come home and as soon as you come home he takes his life but then you still power through and it sounds like you got through college, even though you were super depressed and you're using triathlons. So if you're, were a professional athlete in the triathlons, do you believe that you were kind of using such a rigorous, tough practice, like a triathlon kind of as some form of escapism from the emotions Did it make you feel better or what was going on with the triathlons? Uh, I mean, I think that that was management. Um, you know, could you call it escapism? Well, the other option was I would kill myself. So, I mean, I don't know. 
I mean, I thought about suicide so often that like I was on the, I was on the, you know, the edge of it for many years. So, uh, you know, look at that the way you like, I use, you know, I did triathlon because it, it made me feel better. It gave me purpose and it gave me kind of a, a direction, a direction, I guess, for something that was better in the future. And it, it gave me hope as well. And so, so yeah, it, it had a whole combination of things. And I think that people naturally gravitate towards the activity that gives them that need if that makes sense, because everyone's fucking traumatized. Everybody is. Everyone has, does, has things and they have habits that are built off of, off of that to accommodate their internal needs, you know? So I think that it's, it's an issue when we talk about dealing with emotions. It's an issue the, what, that we actually are very real with the way that we think about our emotions we don't get too i think it's important we don't get too into the concepts of talking about feelings because it becomes too analytical at a certain point and not real enough if that makes sense mm. yeah yeah i mean i just i've kind of wondered because i i see that the more i kind of gather information and you know listen to podcasts and do my podcasts and it seems like sometimes people from traumatic experiences you know it didn't sound like you turned to drugs and alcohol at all but you use they use sometimes it's not drugs and alcohol or sometimes it's both it could be drugs alcohol and success people use you know the kind of traumas to fuel um, business success whatever that looks like in you know western america or maybe they may challenge themselves in something like you did a triathlon really something I see with the emotional baggage is like that kind of chip on your shoulder. And that is where I think psychedelics, it played a good role for me. I realized um, in a psychedelic experience that I, I was trying to be successful to kind of prove something to my father who was never around. He was out doing drugs and non-alcohol and I had this, you know, mystical psilocybin experience. And then I was like, okay, now I can let go of that and just be successful for me, like in my wife and my family. Like there's no need, like now I'm just driven because me myself wants to be driven and wants to be successful, not to try to prove something to somebody or to try to escape from the trauma that I was within. So that's why I asked that. Cause I, I think it's very common. I actually don't think that you're alone. I don't know if everyone has right. the level of like suicidal thoughts you do, but I think that they all, almost everybody sitting around in these offices and these boxes, they have some lingering like depression, like you, you've brought it up multiple times, like lack of purpose, even though they have a lot of money coming in and they have a nice car and a nice house and kids, they still don't yeah. have like a purpose. And I don't think you're alone. So I'm glad that we're like touching on that because I believe that people need to find a job, even if it is a regular job, like hopefully it feels purposeful to you, like find the one that like lights you up and you want to actually go in there every day because most people are kind of just like spinning the wheel, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's so many people living completely pointless lives and I think many of them know and they don't, you know, they don't even know what to do about it. And it's probably the biggest problem in the world, in my, in my opinion, because if people don't have a solid reason, you know, for, for being, if you don't have a reason to do something, if you don't have a reason to take an action, well, then your actions are going to be reckless, aren't they? 
right? Mine were. Yeah, I mean, mine were too. When I was when I was living a, a pointless life, everything I did was fucking reckless and careless and stupid and you know redundant and repetitive and like from other people's com- perspective, I probably just looked like an insane person, just completely out of it and lost and like you know just you're unapproachable. And I can see why, you know, it wasn't my, it, it wasn't what I wanted, but I was just too stuck in like purposelessness and there was no, there was no solving that for me. So yeah, I think people, people have to get tired of living in a purposeless way before they will have the internal drive to commit to a life purpose. Because you have to commit to a purpose. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to do this today and tomorrow I'm something. No. Like, it has to, your life purpose has to be one thing. <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, it's beautifully said. And I've kind of been through hell and back with, you know, uh, obviously I mentioned the childhood trauma with the father not being around. Then I, I did resort to the drugs and alcohol all through my 20s and had to get sober from all of that. And then once I actually got sober, realized like I had complete fatigue. I had burnt, I had exhausted my adrenal, like every system in the body was just shut down. It wasn't like a, Oh, get sober and you're going to be super good in three months, four months. Like I was just racked hormones, you know, had Lyme disease, had mercury poisoning, had all parasites that I know we'll talk about with you later. Just all the crazy, you know, physical 3d reality shit from running my body to the ground and being, heartless and emotionless emotionless on top of that so i mean i i get it and i think there's a lot of people who maybe haven't broken down as much as i did like i was like 30 years old and completely shattered so i realized that i shouldn't feel that way but i think for most people it's more of a slow build over time and they get to be 40 or 45 and they kind of chalk up some of these like emotion symptoms or physical you know not eating a good diet type of symptoms to just like kind of aging and i'm i try to really hammer at home that it's like you should feel happy and whole and complete and feel like you have some kind of purpose in the world to change something or at least change something for your family and your kids and you know i was i was there with you and i try to come full circle and show people there's a different way yeah it's it's something that people kind of find i think automatically when when you're looking for their purpose i think people have to they have to start out with a kind of internal um an internal need for it right like i was saying like when they get tired of living in a purposeless way because like people lots of people live with no purpose and so they just do anything and they don't care and so they have to start caring about something that's the first thing that's to start caring about something. And once people can start caring about something, then they start to figure out, Oh, what's the thing I care about the most. And then from there, they can just put their life towards that. That's, the, that's basically how I think it works. And people have different needs and different interests just because naturally we do just, we're exposed to different things and different whatever. And so people just naturally have different purposes, just, you know, that's part of nature. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it sounds like someone introduced to you somewhere along the lines, a concept of spirituality of, you know, emotions, like how were you introduced to that? Like you just started reading books or someone showed you a podcast. What happened there? Yeah, that was, uh, well, uh, 
the first introduction to spirituality I had was when I was, I mean, very, very young. Prior to all the stuff that happened when I was a teenager, there were many experiences I had, uh, which were, I mean, remarkably psychic in nature. Uh, there were multiple times that I saw the future and it happened like two weeks and it would just happen. And I would see it again and it would happen and I would see it again and it would happen. <laughs> and, uh, there were other things that, that, you know, I, things I could predict about people and things I would know about people without anybody saying anything. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff that we would call as like psychic abilities. And when all this stuff happened, when I was a teenager, I just sort of didn't think about this anymore. I just thought of it as like nonsense. Uh, even though I, even though I could prove it, it still, it was just like, well, I don't know. I don't know. So then it just sort of turned into nothing. And what really, I think, tr started me off spiritually was, uh, this is, this is going to be a, maybe going another crazy uh, rabbit hole here. When I was 15, before all this crazy shit happened that I talked about at the beginning, uh, that was the first time that I had what I considered to be a real vision of the future and this happened as a dream uh, at that time i was living in uh, austin texas and i was uh very familiar with that town and i had this dream where i was at this place which has a lake it's very beautiful very peaceful and i'm there at the lake and i'm enjoying it and then all of a sudden off in the distance i saw a light falling out of the sky it looked like a bomb it was falling, 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 and then boom, it hits the ground, and it's like a mushroom cloud. <sighs> a nuclear bomb or something goes off. And I see it coming at me, and I'm like screaming in panic, and it, in, this mushroom cloud engulfs me, throws me up into the air, which you wouldn't think it would. You'd think it would push you back, but it threw me up, and then it took me over a river, and I'm screaming the whole time, panicking, <laughs> and like flailing and I'm flying through the air, I'm sure I'm gonna just fall down to the ground and die. And slowly, piece by piece, I slowly, slowly, slowly come down. I can't see the ground because it's too cloudy. And then eventually I just touch the ground. And as soon as I did, all the clouds went away and the sun came out. And this, I, through the, through the feelings that came through this dream, through the message that came through it, I knew that this was a metaphor for what I would actually have to live through. And the following year was when I went to this treatment center, this juvenile prison, whatever you want to call it. And it wasn't until... 14 years later, no, I'm sorry, more than that. It wasn't until about 17 years later that I understood what that dream really meant, that it was actually like foretelling the future and that it actually was accurate in the way that I had understood it at the time. And my life had been like thrown into this giant chaotic storm and I had landed on my feet at the end of it somehow. And... So that what I, I would say was kind of my introduction to spirituality was, is, was going through all of those years uh, within that 
reality, I never fully understood what that dream meant or what it was. And so when I was in this bad experience, I didn't understand that I was just going through that sequence. Does that make sense? From that first vision. You're just going through that one from the first vision and then you're going to get to something else later. And so since, since this actually happened, the way that I experienced it, I have come to think that certain visions are actually predictive of the future. And if, you, if I, I mean, at least I seem to have a talent with this in some way. And so I'm able to see certain things and then understand the context of it and see where things are going in my life, at least based off of that. Super interesting. And I'm sure you probably didn't even realize much of that for quite a while. I have some of them revelations too, especially using the medicines for sure. You kind of unlock something in your brain and you go, Oh shit. Like you have this like, yeah, total remembrance of something that's been like locked away and then it, it totally makes sense that's why i kind of do i really do love the medicines they work in some mysterious ways you don't always really understand it in the moment and then you get to it just gives you this like different perspective on things that have happened to you and um it's just absolutely beautiful so you moved down to south america and it sounds like from my the previous shows I've listened to you on, it didn't sound like you got right in touch with the medicines for a while. What was life like in South America once you moved down for the first bit? Oh, it was very quiet. I didn't speak any Spanish. <laughs> and I, I was in a really bad place. I really needed, um, I really needed space at that time. So I just took my space and it was peaceful. I gradually got accustomed with the, the, the culture and the, the, the language. And after about six months, I was speaking like moderate Spanish. Uh, now I'm pretty much fluent. And yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of a, it was sort of a letting go period. I don't know. It was a very peaceful period of my life. When I first moved to Argentina, which was after, it was in like September of 2013. And I stayed there for about a year and a half. And it, I would go up to the mountain there. And it was this mountain in this in the middle of Argentina where there's really nothing. It's just a desert. And so you, you go up onto the top of this mountain. It's about three kilometers up above the desert floor below and it was so high up that when the sun would set it would set below you so you're standing and you can look down to see the sunset and it was the most beautiful sunsets ever and i would go and watch it almost every day uh, but right as soon as it would go down it would leave this powerful like whoosh like the wind would push and the birds would chirp and all of nature would sing and then it would just be night and it was a very uh, very beautiful experience there of just sort of connecting with myself and trying to understand life. I, I read a lot of philosophy and literature and religious and spiritual texts as well. Kind of anything. Uh, I didn't work. I just sort of studied while I was studying different things while I was there. Um, I tried to get into meditation and stuff, but my physical illnesses kind of inhibited that at that time. So 
it was, you know, it was the start of the adventure. It was the start of this crazy adventure that I've been on. Um, I'm a person that needs to know the meaning of life needed, needed so badly that I was willing to do nothing else. Does nothing else matter? I had to understand the purpose of life, the purpose of everything. Why, why, why? I could never, I could never get to the bottom of why is there a need for people to suffer? And everyone has these reasons and I just couldn't accept them. I just couldn't. It just doesn't, it just didn't make sense to me. Why is there a need for suffering ever? And it started, the journey started, you know, that search started right there at the beginning of Argentina when I got to Argentina over 10 years ago now. Yeah. And so now you've mentioned um, a few of the physical kind of 3D realm symptoms you were having. What were your uh, chronic illnesses you were dealing with while you were over there? Even So it sounds like even though you got down there and it was peaceful and you're watching the sunset every night, you're surrounded by nature, all the things that we talk about, you still had some kind of underlying chronic condition going on. What were those? Um, yeah, well, you know, PTSD doesn't set you up for good health. <laughs> uh, you know, I had chronic insomnia since I was like 13. And using heavy-duty, like, antidepressant medications was how I slept for, I mean, until I was until I left the U S and I came off of most of that stuff after being on it since I was like a teenager and I was on some really heavy stuff that I don't even want to go into it. Um, psychiatric medications are a scam in my opinion. Um, I got to Argentina and I, I stopped taking all of it and you know, I had been a triathlete for so many years and I had been not too great to my body in that sense. Being a triathlete is not really healthy. It's pretty much exhausting to your body and it wears you out, wears you out. And I'm sure that um, has played a factor in my current health as well. Uh, but yeah, um, when I got there, I started to figure out some things about life and I was adapting to the culture and this and that. And I'm, just starting to form like a spiritual understanding right at the beginning of 2013. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, um, concentrate really hard on this. I'm going to go all in and I'm going to figure it out. And then in like two months, uh, I was going for a walk through the mountains and I took some water out of a stream and got a case of Jardia. And this was like the most monster horrific case anyone has ever heard of. And it has persisted since then. It's lasted many, it lasted many, many, many years and it was excruciating. I tried every antibiotic and didn't work. Tried every, everything, every, every single treatment that was available. I was, I was tested and there was just nothing. There was just nothing that uh, that worked that that cured it, and it 
wasn't until I was able to resolve the insomnia that I started healing from that. But that didn't, I didn't discover the, that until I discovered Amanita, which was like nine years, eight, nine years later. No, it wasn't that much, but it was about, yeah, it was about eight years later. So yeah, insomnia and insomnia has been, was the most brutal, I think the most brutal battle of my life because when you can't sleep, you can't, you, you can't do anything. And nobody like, no, there's no mercy from people. Like you have, you can't function and people just judge you. They just look down upon you because you don't function well. And it's like, I can't sleep. I can't, you don't have a way to, and there's nobody's going to like, look, you know what I'm saying? Nobody looks favorably upon you because of that. Yeah. So it was, it was very hard times. Hello everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. I can agree when I was like, you know, cause I, on the outside looked relatively healthy all while I had the Lyme disease and the heavy metals and the parasites and people, you know, especially because I used to party a lot. And then now I live down in Florida. So I'm kind of tan. I'm not as bloated as I bloated as I used to be because I don't drink really anymore. Just very rarely a couple times a year. And so to them, people I hadn't seen in a while, I looked a lot healthier because I wasn't doing the, all the fucking street drugs and the partying. And so, yeah, of course, I looked more lively, but I felt dead inside. And when I would express, like, even when I said I had Lyme disease, basically no one really, like, gave a shit. It didn't feel like it. didn't. They just didn't understand it. So it was like a lot of times you just kind of, I would imagine you probably did the same. You just, like, quit bringing it up. You don't really want to be a burden and tell people right. like, Hey, I can't sleep. It's like, Oh, it's like a, you just like a fucking, you know, it's on repeat. Right. So I have Lyme. Hey, I'm actually, I actually do have a chronic illness. I'm pretty tired, like 24 seven. Um, so it was, it was exhausting more to try to like explain it to people than to just like show up to a dinner or something and just try to act normal, even though you kind of couldn't. And so I really get what it is. And I hope there's more awareness around just the way our environment is nowadays and how much toxic chemicals and metals and things we're exposed to that, you know, there's a lot of people out here with anxiety and depression and, you know, the lack of purpose and the emotional damage plays into that too. But there's a lot of just shit in our environment that's unnatural and our food's depleted. And so of course people have insomnia and they have chronic illnesses and they have, you know, all kinds of shit going on. So I totally agree that people who aren't going through it really don't understand but I still believe that they're at like a lower level than where they could be. Like their energy is still not as high as it could be, but they're more functional than, you know, say you or I, who was really like having a difficulty sleeping. And really once you get like, I, I was in the same boat. I had such bad uh, neuroinflammation from the metals and the Lyme that like, I just had chronic back pain. I still do have some back pain I'm working through. Um, and just like, which would really like, even I would take a bunch of melatonin and magnesium to sleep uh, and CBD and stuff. But then like I would toss and turn even when I was asleep. So it was never like full like night of rest. And so then you're like up for like four hours and you're already exhausted and you got to go back to sleep. And 
it was it's just chaos and people don't understand what that what it's like to be in that a body like that 24 7. yeah yeah it's uh it's torturous and it makes people feel isolated which they get which they are because of their illness it's um it's terrible it's terrible that anyone anyone should have to go through that and this is a result of our world submitting to a pharmaceutical system which does not even attempt to cure illnesses All right they came out with a covid vaccine you know so rapidly you know how many illnesses they haven't tried to cure or haven't cured <laughs> right isn't is does it does it make sense that in this day and age, 2023, with all of the technology we have, we have artificial intelligence at this point. Does it make sense that we still haven't cured anything in all this, all this technological advancements? We can't cure any other illnesses, really? So the pharmaceutical system is about making money, and they know that, and the public is starting to figure that out too. And once people start realizing, oh, wait, I'm not going to the doctor because it's good for my health. I'm going to the doctor because that's the only option I have, even though it's so expensive, I can't really afford it. And this whole system is corrupt, to say it lightly, very corrupt. And there is not an effort in the general medical community to keep people healthy. There never has been. And as long as we're using this system, there never will be. People have to start realizing that health is not a pill. It's not an injection. How, how do you not? It, health is a thing you have to do. You have to use nutrition. It's exercise. It's the way you treat yourself, right? It's a lot of stuff. It's a whole balance of things. And we've been conditioned to believe that health is actually a fucking injection. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm right there with you. I actually think that the, uh, the events of 2020, um, <clears throat> although they worked, um, I believe it actually woke more people up than it did anything. So I yeah. actually think long, long term, I think it's a backfire, although they made a bunch of money in the beginning and even some really knowledgeable and smart people, really smart people that I know still fell for it. You know, they really, the brainwashing was real, but yeah. now as more and more comes out, more people have seen what actually happened, have seen some of the damage it's caused. I do actually think that that was a backfire and it's going to be looked at as one of the great awakenings. Yeah, that's so they did the whole COVID thing and that really it, they just made it so obvious. And this is the thing is that the current powers that be, they have to make it more obvious what they're doing in order for their plan to work, which means that right before the end, they have to basically tell you what they're doing. They have to, because you have to consent to it. Everyone has to consent to it. This whole system we live in is based on consent. We consent to this and that. And after a while, the parasites start to figure out how they can get everything and get everyone else to have nothing. This was written about by Adam Smith, the guy who wrote The Wealth of Nations, wrote about this in his book. 
He knew there was people like this. So we can't look at this as an economic issue. This is not about capitalism or something like that. It's an issue of corruption that the public has accepted and continues to accept because we don't have a strong enough value for character and what that actually means. People think character is like something you say. They think character is like cleverness and character is like um, other people looking at you. It's like the inst- how many likes on Instagram is somehow sets your character value, right? And these like there's the, the personal, the current view of what makes a person valuable is really skewed. Don't, don't you think so? I, believe I so. think so. I think it's really skewed. And so, I mean, shouldn't we get that in line first? Because I mean, if we're if we are accepting an abusive government, well, why don't we just stop accepting it? <laughs> I actually think we're on that path. I think it's going to look a lot worse before it looks better. Obviously, the people in power have plenty of control and a lot of money, and they're capable of almost anything. But I think, uh, although social media is a little bit damaging, it's, you know, the memes and everything, they kind of wake people up in like a funny way. And um, you, we're allowed to share share our thoughts and opinions somewhat. You get censored, but there is like Rumble and X where people are kind of jumping over to and sharing more of their views. And I think over time that those independent medias, they kind of already do have like bigger platforms, like a Rogan or a Russell Brand. They kind of have bigger platforms than like Fox News, Fox News already. Tucker Carlson's been kind of killing it on X. So I think we're shifting in that way, but people don't realize like they think it's like the fall of the humanity but it really is just the collapse of of power is going to look a lot uglier before it gets better because there's going to be a battle this is going to be a very messy breakdown people think there's going to be like tyranny no it's it's going to be crazy it's going to be crazy roller coaster is what it's going to be and it's going to be not what people expect um i hope everyone's ready for this (laughs) um (laughs) Get yourself ready. And yeah, they're going to try to do lockdowns again. I don't know if you heard about, you heard about this. I've seen some things about it. I didn't know how much they yeah. were going to follow through with it, but. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're just already announcing that they're going to do it. And I think they announce it to see what the public response is. Mm-hmm. Like they're not announcing it because they'll do it. They're announcing it to ask you if you're okay with it. <laughs> see, this is how government That's operates. The waters. They declare Yeah. They declare something. And then you don't resist it. And because you don't stand up for what's right, they just get away with it. See, that's, that's how the IRS came into existence. <laughs> that's how the FBI came into existence, too. Um, so people, people are starting to realize that this is, uh, this is all a big fraud. It's, you know, it's just everyone, everyone knows. Everyone knows. Look, I mean, does anyone think, have you met a single person who thinks all things on the earth are great, going well, swell? Like, I, no, nobody, not, nobody thinks everything on the earth is going well. And so when an entire world has this same idea, change can happen like that. 
Yeah, and it's. I think I. I really do think it's getting there, but you know, it'll take some time. The next couple of decades will be will will be that roller coaster that you talk about. But yeah, let's uh, get back to your journey here, though. Although I could talk to you about the sure. corruption of uh, government. It's kind of like one of my. <laughs> if you ever see me on Instagram, I'm always posting memes and stupid shit. But so we could talk about that for hours. But yeah, uh, sounded like you had the chronic illnesses. So that kind of still led you to have like a lot of depression and suicide. And then somewhere along the lines, you found some sort of medicine. So let's uh, get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so you're asking when I started, what, like. Yeah. So you like what, what was medicines were you introduced to first? I know it wasn't Amanita. And then what were those experiences? Right. Like? Yeah. Well, uh, I've talked about my first ayahuasca experience in many places. So maybe I'll just gloss over that. Yeah, that I had the first experience. It was very transformative. The first three ceremonies I did, I learned pretty much everything that I had wanted to know about life. Not everything, but we're saying like having, I had been looking for a purpose my whole life and then it, it was there. And not only was it there, but there was also this path forward to something that was so much bigger than anything I could have ever imagined. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, I had, I did not have big dreams when I was in Brazil. I just wanted to like have a nice life for myself, you know, you know, date, whatever, maybe have a nice girlfriend, maybe someday have kids. I don't know, but I just wanted to live there and like have a quiet little life and like enjoy myself. And that was going to be my retirement. And then, <laughs> you know, basically God comes in and is like, you got to go do your job, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that was the first three ceremonies and i started off in the in in the ayahuasca in the tra traditional ayahuasca culture that was where i started off with psychedelics i was doing ceremonies with brazilian indigenous people huni queens they're called and there's some other you know the different tribes of huni queens some things that are similar to this um, and then there's these Shipibos, which are in Peru. And I trained with them as well. I did dietas with uh, several Shipibos. And I did dietas with Huni Queens as well. And I was always doing ayahuasca in these settings. They were in well-organized, very, very, uh, very delicately operated and powerful ceremonies. And I learned so much from being around these people. And around these beings, my entire, I mean, my entire belief about how life works changed from being around these people. Before meeting them, I had thought that everything was like material. Again, that's kind of what I was taught in school. And so when I started doing these ceremonies, they were like telling me these things that were just extraordinarily fascinating. And I couldn't like, I couldn't just like pass it up. They were telling me things about uh, the way that life works, the way the energy works, the way the body works, that was like, whoa, I knew it was true. I just had never seen it like that before. And so saying things like your body is energy and your mind is making the energy. This, this is the one thing that one of my, one of the Pajes told me. So what this implies is if you have an illness, you're essentially, you're making it in some way or another. And at, the, and at the core of this, I understand this to be true. How to actually like unlock this and do that is complicated. 
but I've through my own use of psychedelics and through years of meditation and everything, I have figured out a lot of ways to overcome illnesses with just the mind. And anyone can do this. Anyone can do it. The, the, the power of your own internal energy is limitless. What we, what we actually have access to as human beings is, is huge. So I learned this through the initial, the initial ceremonies I had with these indigenous people and through the dietas as well that I did. And that was really where everything started. After that, I started doing psilocybin after uh, many ayahuasca ceremonies. And then after that, it was, I did Wachuma sometimes. And then after that, I discovered Amanita. And then Amanita was, it was all about Amanita for a while. Yeah. Cool. I had one last question before we get off the topic that I think it might be interesting for um, some people who may be depressed or something right now. Um, sure. You spoke about in another podcast about how you believe that I know the ayahuasca helped you with the suicidal thoughts and all of the medicines because you still yeah. were experiencing some suicidal thoughts going into the medicines, um, even though you were living in Brazil and it was a little bit peaceful. And then you talked about what you kind of feel would happen if someone actually did commit suicide, that you would kind of go to this lower level dimension and maybe not be able to climb back up. Let's get into that a little bit. I think that'd be interesting for somebody who may be depressed to, to hear. So understanding what happens when you die became one of the most important things for me to learn during my training. I should say that during my ceremonies, I was routinely guided by entities to certain pieces of knowledge and information, shown things by them. This was regular. And for me, it only occurred during those experiences, not during everyday life, which some people, they do have that interaction. I gradually learned the way that consciousness makes reality. It's a vast and intricate and deep science that is the science of God, in my opinion. It's how God makes reality. It's how God makes life. And essentially, it all comes from how consciousness becomes existence, how it becomes experience. So everything, every person has consciousness. I'll just try to explain this as simply as possible. Every person has consciousness. And you have consciousness at the most base layer. So it's like a light. And you've seen like the prism and Pink Floyd and the dark side of the moon. There's a light and then it hits the prism and then it expands into this like color thing. That's the same as a human. So at the base, it's just light. And then it has certain levels of a subconscious mind that form certain factors of personality and experience. And that forms the belief system. And then on top of the belief system for that being for that lifetime and that reality that forms then a mind, which is their thoughts, which is relative to their current circumstances. And then on top of that is the physical body. And there's some levels in here I'm leaving out just to be clear. Okay. And this, this essentially is what forms uh, our experience. And if you can master the deepest levels, if you can master the deepest levels of your unconsciousness, what manifests for you is dramatically different than what it is for other people. I will tell you that with the life I had, dude, 
there wasn't much coming back from that. <laughs> um, there were so many moments where it came very close to ending, where things were just falling apart and there was nothing I could do. And just somehow every time it just kept going. <laughs> and I'm learning now why that is the case. And for me, it's about my purpose in life and what I have to be able to see and do. And I want to want to let people know that as long as you have a spiritual purpose, which you can actually give to yourself, you can actually give it to yourself. But as long as you have a spiritual purpose, you will be safe. You may not have everything you want. You may not have everything that you feel you need, but you will be safe in the right ways. And it was through learning all of this science and all of this experience that I'm now able to speak like this on this topic. And it's, um, uh, it's something that people find fascinating most of the time. Now, I'm explaining this in relation to this topic because... What a person has at their most base level of experience, okay, what they have in their deepest layer of subconscious, that is what sets the macro scale of their reality, okay? So at the very deepest part of your subconscious, there are these things that are I refer to as paradoxes. Consciousness, there, there is content, there is an experience because of paradoxes. So two things that are opposites, but existing in the same place. That's why there is existence. So you can't actually have nothing without having something. These are, these are opposites, and they necessitate each other in order to exist. Consciousness itself does not have existence. It exists outside of that. It only perceives existence. And I define consciousness as itself as God. Consciousness is, is God. Um, anyways. To go back to answer your question without going on to too many of these rabbit holes. Um, what happens is the following. There is a base paradox, which every single being has to set. That's the first, it's the first paradox of existence. Depending on the way a being sets that paradox in relation to their experience, determines everything that happens to them for the rest of eternity. Again, I wish this wasn't the case. I didn't make the rules. I'm just observing them. Essentially, what this base paradox is, is should you be or not be? Shakespeare said it. To be or not to be. Now, the reason this is significant it's because if you believe that life itself is bad, if you believe that the world or that the universe is not on your side or is against you or harmful or dangerous or scary, if you believe that, that becomes true for you. That becomes set. And, and if this becomes very true for you, so true that it's in your subconscious level of your mind, at a certain point, this forms a barrier which on the inside is always becoming 
move, I, I don't know how to explain this. Hold on. It forms a barrier which cannot be changed. Let's put it that way. Uh, if this barrier is fully formed, and this can create a situation where that being can never experience anything that is outside of it. This can happen through the concretization of traumas. So if a person is traumatized and because of their own actions, they are then re-traumatized and then through their own actions, traumatized more. And then this performs a repetitive cycle to where eventually that being's experience is always that. Always. You see what I'm saying? People understand the terms I'm using, but what I'm saying is that this occurs not just at the scale of your own life. This occurs when you reincarnate because those cycles are locked into your karma as part of your aura. Uh, you, this occurs many cycles later. You can keep reincarnating, keep reincarnating for a long time. And if the person is going down, which a lot of the time they do, if they're going down, eventually they get to the point where they will be uh, made to consent to go to hell. They are basically asked, do you think you should go here? And they say yes. Now, why would a being say yes to this? It's kind of just the momentum of their decision making. They're just, they're, I mean, they're going down, they're going down, they're going down. They're not reversing it. And changing yourself and evolving is challenging. A lot of beings just don't want to. And so they don't see what's down there. And so they just keep going. They don't, they just, they just don't stop. They're stupid shit. They can't, they can't see it differently. They can't find whatever inside themselves to be not self-conscious enough. And then at the end of it, they intentionally go to hell. You, they have to purposefully go. It's the only way to get in. And once they're down there, they're never coming back. They have, they have, they have basically said, I do not want God. And they go to a place where God is not. And so that's the way it ends. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that if a person commits suicide, that they will end up there, but they will take a gigantic hit to their experience for many lifetimes at best. Um, you can get knocked back really, really far. And whether that being recovers or not is it's very hard at that point because you've dumped this gigantic vortex of negative energy onto everyone, you know, for, for doing that. You know, it's, it's, it's horrifying to live through. And this, this energy being the way in which the person died, when they're born again, they have to be born at that level of energy, at that level of feeling, we should say, that level of emotion that they created when they killed themselves, that's what they're born into. So just imagine how nasty that would sound. So it sounds like you're basically, if you do happen to reincarnate into a physical body, you're basically setting yourself up for failure. You're going to be born right into something that's very chaotic and in that same kind of depressive energy that you left out of the body and probably even worse because of how you went out. And it's funny you say right. that because I never thought about it in that way, but I, <clears throat> the, I think I always explain, um, it in the reverse to my wife that I think that I lived lots of lifetimes of traumatic experiences. And then this is the one where I finally broke it. And I think if we can keep evolving and up leveling, then my 
karma, my next lifetime, I'll come in <clears throat> starting off on a better foot than all of the traumatic experiences because I've worked through those. So I think you can kind of set yourself up. It's kind of like playing a game of Mario, since we're talking about Amanitas, where you keep going to the next level and you try to get better and better and better. You get more lives and you kind of level up in that way. But you're basically saying the same thing can happen if you go out in a traumatic way, such as suicide. That's right. But basically in the reverse order, going down, 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 and then yeah. eventually all the way to hell, where that's going to be probably the most traumatic place you could spend the rest of your existence. <laughs> yes, that's how it works. And this is, it's all, it's all due to inertia. Okay, I, what I'm explaining are trajectory systems. Okay, so you, your energy is set in a certain trajectory in a certain way, and that has a kind of a, developed a kind of inertia. And this eventually can lead a person to be in a permanent state of suffering that never, ever, ever, ever ends. Now, the opposite, I will say, is also true. Okay, which means that if you are a person who is loving, if you're a person who understands that life is good, you could say you believe in God. You could say you believe in the universe. You could say that you um, trust life, whatever. As long as you have a positive feeling about existing, a positive feeling about being alive, that's all you need. That's literally all you need because that energy starts to accumulate over time and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that eventually leads to better experiences and then better and better and better. And so you just have to get better at managing that and creating that energy so that over time your experiences can just keep getting better. It's working yeah. for me. It's difficult though. It's tough. It's the, the, the 3D it realm, the earth realm's probably harder than any other realm in existence. If I had to, if I had to take a it, guess that's, just from psychedelic that's very experiences accurate. and living through it, I think that this is the toughest battle down here in this is physical realm. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Physical stuff makes it so complicated because it's, it, it's so illusory to what we really are. And then a lot of spiritual teachers, you know, a lot of religious texts have talked about that. And it's, they know that it's illusory. So it, what that means is that the way that things work here is not how things work in other, in other realities. And there are infinite other ones. So the, the biggest problem I should mention with suicide, um, the reason that it's so destructive to a person's life is that each person's life automatically has a purpose. And a being has to accept this. A person has to accept that they have a life purpose. And if they don't want to accept it, what I already explained is what the ending is. The reason that you have to accept it is that everything is balanced and ordered in a very fine, exact way. And so if you don't want to be part of that balance, then it has to eject you out. Right. That if you're just doing this math or whatever you want to or you put this. So um, it has to be perfectly balanced. And this requires that beings have their energy committed in the right ways so that they can be connected with the right people and the right circumstances in the right places for them to live out their life purpose. Now, if you get a moment that's scary or depressing or shocking or a stall or whatever, and you're in a lot of pain, just keep in mind that you still have a purpose. There are all sorts of energetic cycles that occur due to your life, due to being physically alive, that have to play out at a specific timeline. 
cannot go faster, cannot go slower in many cases for, for the really big stuff in life. It's not changing. And so you have to be able to get through those rough times to be able to get to those next levels and the next levels of not just experience, but it's also of your spiritual growth of your connection with people, your connection with your life, your connection with God, your connection with nature. All of this comes as you can get through, get better at getting through those hard times. And what people get stuck in is thinking that they're a physical body, which makes them believe that if they kill themselves, they will escape their pain. It doesn't work like that. So by doing that, a person is breaking their spiritual path. As I've mentioned, everyone has a life purpose. Everyone has a spiritual path. If you break it, there is no salvation for you. If you quit on what you know you're supposed to do with your life, how can anyone help you? Why should God come up and do something for you? And so, you know, it doesn't make sense for people to try to insist that they can get away with escaping from the totality of everything. No, you can't. You can't stop existing. You can't stop being. You will have an experience no matter what happens. Every single person, every single being has an experience forever. All of them. It's just the content that is, you know, subjective to discussion. And so a being has to set, as I was mentioning, they have to be in a state of unconditional love. A state of peace and unconditional love in relation to their existence. This is what sets the base paradox. So if a person is able to set this, what it, you, you set it through your feelings. Okay? It's not like you know it and you're, you write it down in a book or something. No. You know, you feel it and you are it. You're feeling it is what makes it true. You cause it to be real by feeling it. You say, I feel great about being alive. I feel great to exist. I have a whole, I have a whole, in my, in my practices, I have a whole sets of hymns and things I do it to increase this. And you bring in more of the, the joy of existing into your being. And by doing this, you're setting your present experience to be much better and your future experiences to be much better. And so it's all about how you currently look at the present moment. And it's, it's a complex game, but this is it. And I challenge people to try it because as I said, guys, like we can't stop existing. You have to exist. And the only thing that is arguable is what should the content be? I think we all know that it should be good. <laughs> Let's try to have some good content. Okay. How do we create good things? You just create it starting here. So let's make sure this is going well. Uh, I have worked tirelessly to be able to harness my emotions the same way I harness my physical body. It's I'm not fully there, but I'm getting close. I'm getting close because I know that once feelings, once you have a certain level of control over your feelings, you can control external things in a way that like, I, I think people, I think will be some kind of a breakthrough. Yeah.
Pardon the interruption, I want to take a quick break to talk about gut health. With all of the research coming out over the last decade, we know exactly how important the gut microbiome actually is for our overall health. If you're anything like me, then you have struggled with tons and tons of gut issues. I grew up on a lot of different antibiotics. As I got older, I did a lot of partying, drugs, alcohol, standard American diet, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, I had chronic mold toxicity in line. After that, I really couldn't get my gut to function properly. I spent tons and tons of money on different kefirs, yogurts, probiotics, different things that really didn't seem to work. That is until I found Just Thrive. It's a 100% spore-based probiotic that arrives 100% alive in your gut for maximum impact. It has a thousand times better survivability versus other leading probiotics. It helps support digestive, immune, and total body health. For me, it really helped to beat bloating, gas, constipation, and diarrhea. And it is even clinically proven to address leaky gut in just 30 days. So what I do is I take two caps with my largest meal and it really helps to improve nutrient absorption as well. And they are backed by a 100% money back guarantee. So for if any reason it doesn't work for you, no questions asked, you can get a refund. If you want to try out Just Thrive Spore-Based Probiotics, go over to Just Thrive Health and use code ITP15 for 15% off at the checkout. If you're anything like me in the health and optimization space, you're not only looking for which supplements may make you feel optimal, but also different technologies. The problem with most technologies on the market is they can really burn a hole in your pocket. If you are looking for the most affordable, but yet yet highly effective technologies that help promote detoxification, better sleep, mitochondria function, immune function, look no further than Therasage. I have their portable infrared sauna and I am willing to put that sauna against any other sauna on the market. It heats up quickly. I get an amazing sweat. I've been in some of these really, really expensive saunas and I prefer my Therasage sauna. The new addition that I have in my home is the Therasage PEMF mat. This is a game changer. A lot of people who are dealing with chronic illness and autoimmune conditions could really benefit for at-home PEMF. When you're trying to do PEMF out at a clinic, it can charge like 30, 60, sometimes $100 per session. Therasage has just dropped the most affordable PEMF mat on the market. You can use it daily. It has a TENS mat. It has red light. It's a heating pad. My wife is absolutely obsessed with this thing. It has just brought more energy, mental clarity, and all around overall well-being. I gave up my morning meditation recently and just started laying on the PEMF mat. It's such a great addition to have that with the sauna. The PEMF will help you to release a lot of the toxins and then you can sweat those out via the sauna and you will just feel rejuvenated. So if you wanna try out any of the Therasage products, you can use the code Kaufman10. I will link to their website in the show notes. They have the most amazing affordable technology biohacks on the planet. Yeah, beautifully said. I'm super glad that I got into that question and you were able to extrapolate that for people because I think it can be helpful. And there's a lot of people who are just feel lonely and depressed and maybe just that'll give them a little spark of hope. So super glad we touched on that. Now let's get into the Amanitas, what we're really here for. Um, so where did you start off with trying that? You did a bunch of ceremonies, something you did a bunch of medicines, yeah. and then you finally found what you became passionate about, the Amanitas. How'd that happen? Yeah, I had just finished the ayahuasca diet. It was in Brazil, 
And I went to the mountains to just go see them as they're beautiful mountain ranges out there. And in Brazil, I lived decently. I didn't have a ton of money, but I had enough to sort of do some things. And so every once in a while, I go on a trip in Brazil. I couldn't usually afford to fly anywhere, but I would just go drive, drive to some place and spend the weekend. And I went to the mountains and I was on this middle of the nowhere country road. There's only farms and just empty grasslands all around me. And I, I go up to take some pictures on this, on this little hilltop. And then I see this pine forest over to the side. And I thought, oh, I'll just go for a little walk and enjoy the air and the, the soft breeze and whatnot. And I go hop the fence. There's nobody there. It's, and it's an empty place. So they, just, they just grow these pine trees for lumber. So they just put, plant them and then they leave it because they don't really care. And I hop over the fence and I immediately see all these red mushrooms everywhere. And I was like, holy, I knew what it was. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with it really. But I started collecting them. And eventually I got to the point where uh, I was, I had collected so much. I was carrying like a giant sack over my shoulder, <laughs> uh, carrying it back to my cabin. Anyways, I made it back to my cabin. I started figuring out how to use it. And once I started making it as tea, Within a couple of weeks, I was virtually cured of insomnia. And as long as I was taking Amanita, didn't have insomnia. And this was the first time ever in 20 years that I was able to sleep. And I was like, whoa, this is powerful. <laughs> this is powerful. And over time, it gradually cured me of several other illnesses and ailments. And it still does things for me today that are fascinating. And I, I had never guessed. At that time, even after I discovered Amanita, I had never guessed that I was going to be the Amanita guy. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I just, it just hadn't struck me. I mean, I knew I was on this whole spiritual thing and I was taking it very seriously in Brazil, but I had no, I, I didn't think I was going to leave Brazil. I had never planned on it. I was living on a, on a beautiful tropical paradise island, you know, and having a blast in a lot of ways with life. And I didn't think I was going to have to go through this whole challenging uh, maelstrom that I've been through for the last year and a half of getting this company running so that I can actually like bring Amanita to people. Uh, but that was where it started. It started with a little forest that I just bumped into. Once I found them that first time, I started finding them everywhere. And I started, I drove through the mountains and I found all these different spots and I forged all of the ones that I could find and I learned how to use it. Uh, and I ended up the first, the first season, I think I forged 10 kilos, which was amazing for someone who had never done foraging before. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> was a, yeah, it was a fun time, fun times. That's awesome. But, and there's not a lot, it seems like of research around Amanita. I had a million and one questions for you just because I know that they can be toxic and, I was like, sorry, man, I'm asking like a hundred questions, but I don't want to do anything wrong. No, you're fine. There's just so many, there's not a lot of info. And I've been playing around with uh, microdosing and stuff since like 2016, 2017, you know, just LSD, psilocybin, you know, a few different medicines and uh, MDMA. But then, you know, Amanita, I was like, wow, I really, you know, I love psilocybin is like my favorite. And so I was like, I'm going to try these Amanitas. And so did you go home? Were there like some like forums or something that you like figured out how to learn how to brew it and make it or what? Yeah, uh, partly through forums, partly through internet research. 
there, there's a lot of people sharing information on the, on the Reddit forum. I went on there and I asked people around and they would indicate me to different places. Amanita Dreamer, she has a website that she's been running for a while, uh, talking about Amanita. Has a lot of informational stuff about Amanita. Is pretty good. And so there's a lot of people. Well, not a lot of, but there's there's there is information out there. There's information out there. There was some. There was enough to get started. And once I got really into it, I realized that like I would kind of have to figure out a lot of things and understand it because while some people were understanding the process of preparing it, which a lot, a lot of people who are into Amanita, they're really nerdy about the chemistry of it. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of people talking about the spiritual side of it and what it does spiritually. And that was surprising to me because the first six months I was taking Amanita, I was experiencing stuff that nothing else had come close to nothing. I was seeing stuff that was very different than even in a, a very deep ayahuasca ceremony. And I should mention the just before I found the Amanitas, I did a super powerful ayahuasca ceremony under the full moon in sand dune with two shamans. And in this ceremony, I took four doses of uh, 20 to one ayahuasca. That's a mel. That's equivalent to about 12 regular doses. And so taking doses like this, I feel that I am um, experienced enough to comment on the level of difference between a very deep ayahuasca trip and a very deep Amanita trip. And I would just say that they're fundamentally different. There's not really a comparing of the two. Your consciousness is completely different place in Amanita than it is in ayahuasca. And psilocybin is fairly close to ayahuasca, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we get into dosing and everything, I did want to ask, like, why is Amanita's technically legal? Is it just because what they've uh, banned as a substance is just psilocybin, but it's really the mucimol that's in Amanita? Is that why it's basically like unlabeled or, un, you know, not um, not legal or is legal and the psilocybin's illegal? Yeah, um, it, it's it was it was legal just because no one had heard of it when they went to make everything illegal and people weren't using it and they still aren't. <laughs> And just there's no, there wasn't enough knowledge about it. So yeah, I think that was why it was, uh, it was left legal. I think that if they had found that people were using it, they probably would have illegalized it. And, you know, it's beautiful that it is legal and it's legal in pretty much every country because as a microdose, it is very, very safe. As a microdose, you can have much better sleep and better health and better everything, better mental health. And so it's wonderful that people can have access to it. You know, it's such a crime against humanity that psychedelics have been made illegal. This is an intentional act of uh, subordination against God, in my opinion, to cut people off from the access to, to spirituality. Because if people are not given access to open their mind to something different, then they stay stuck in the system, don't they? Yeah, I agree. And it's cool with it's very, very different. Let's talk about the actual dosages, because I think this is where some people get confused, because as I um, have explained that I was playing around with your products, um, a few of my other psychedelic friends were like, well, yeah, I did, you know, Amanita capsule or whatever and didn't notice much. And I had to kind of explain to them because I learned the dosing through you and your information is like, well, 
how much was in that cap? Was it 0.2? Because a microdose of Amanita is not 0.2. It's more like one to five grams. And so once I started, you know, learning, because I took an Amanita cap once that was mixed with psilocybin and it was like low, super low doses of both. And I didn't get much out of it. I felt kind of relaxed, took it at night, didn't really notice much at all. But then once I learned like, oh, okay, this is why I probably didn't notice much because I needed to get up to like three, four grams. I mean, I weigh 220 pounds, really the the top end of the microdose is where I felt better, honestly, like four or five grams. Um, and so I think a lot of people don't understand that you actually have to do a lot more of the Amanita in comparison to psilocybin. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need to take a higher dosage. The dosing is not the same. You know, a microdose for Amanita is one to three grams for psilocybin. It's not. And so a lot of people don't get that. It's, it's funny when, when I talk about Amanita with people who are familiar with psilocybin, because people who are on psilocybin, who take psilocybin somehow think they automatically know what Amanita is. They sort of automatically know like, oh, I know the dosaging already. I know the, the, how much I can handle already. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, you don't. It's different stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. The right way for people to get introduced to Amanita in a trip setting is to combine it with psilocybin. That's the best way to do it. And you can take equal quantities or you can do two Amanitas for one psilocybin if you want to do a little bit heavier on the Amanita and see what that's like. And, you know, that's the best way to do it because uh, psilocybin is kind of a, uh, it will it will push your conscious mind to its extremes. So this can cause agitation. This can cause irritation and sometimes panic in people, right? Sometimes people have these experiences with psilocybin. With Amanita, it's a centralizer. So it centralizes your energy and grounds you. It keeps you deep and keeps you peaceful. So what happens when you combine the two is you get the expansion, but you don't get that like jittery uh, sort of tense energy. The, the Amanita takes that away. So by taking both of them, you get a deeper psilocybin experience. And this combination is really beautiful. It gives some experiences that are super unique. And I would say, um, you know, Try it cautiously, but I would say try it, you know, if you're into psilocybin, you know, try mixing some Amanita in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so would that experience, so when I take psilocybin, obviously I'm awake, obviously, even though I'm kind of in a different state, you know, if I take five grams of psilocybin, I'm kind of going through it, but I can still get up, use the bathroom. When I took the Amanita, I was... I had to close my eyes, honestly. Um, and like, just my thoughts were going, you know, for a little while. And then I went down into like this dream world. Am I going to be awake or am I going to be kind of in that dream world if I mix them together? It depends how much you take. Now, I will put a preface here. Anyone who is considering doing high dose of any psychedelic gradually scale up to that walk your way up to it take a little bit and then you know a few weeks later you take a little bit more and you just go slow and slow and slow and steady make sure your diet is perfect and your mind is good and all that but that being said don't do high dose psychedelics just don't uh that's not really not for everybody okay moving on from that when you get into the co these combinations you will have a, a very very smooth psilocybin experience as long as the Amanita dosage is regulated. 
So if your amanita dosage is, is not too high, if it's at an intermediate or lower, you should have a very smooth psilocybin experience. However, if the amanita dosage is high and the psilocybin dosage is also high, you will end up in a situation where the amanita forces you to sleep. And the way that that trip works is it induces a dream, which is a lucid, vivid dream. Okay. And then that is what your experience is with Amanita. Now, when you combine these two, you end up in a lucid dream, which is driven by the psilocybin. It's a much more intense experience. And it's, uh, those have tended to be spiritual challenges for me. I went into the, I did ceremonies with this combination in high dosages, which I won't, exp, I won't say how much I took, uh, but very high dosages of both. And every time I did it was like a conquest. It was a gigantic adventure. I was ending up in different realities where it was still my consciousness, but not my physical body and with different memories. I had, didn't have this lifetime memories. I had different ones. And I would wake up into these other realities after the long process would occur. And then you get into one of these other realities. And then you have an experience which can last for decades or centuries or millennia. And many, every time I went into these, <laughs> I was sure that I was dead on the earth. Every time. That's part of the process of getting there. You have, to, you have to die on the earth in a certain way. And then you go to this other place, and then you just, at the end, you just come back. But it's crazy because you just experienced like a few hundred years somewhere else. <laughs> and then you wake up, and then I, I would wake up, I would wake up, you know, in the morning, the fire is out, the sun's rising, and I'm laying in the forest uh, by myself with, you know, candles are all burned out and everything, and everything's covered in the morning dew. And I'm like, I'm still alive here. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, this is impossible. Uh, how did this happen? And yeah, I mean, it, it took a while for me to figure out how to integrate those experiences. And essentially, I was learning stuff about life that is just incredible. Because when you see how, when you, let's put it this way. When a person travels, right? Let's say you travel to another country. You learn about how other people do things and see things and like you see the things that are similar and different, right? This is learning about different cultures, you know? Okay. So when you learn about the different culture from a different place in the multiverse, you learn stuff that's really deep. You're like, whoa, that's, the that's always the same. And this is not, wow. It's really, I mean, the stuff I learned from all those travels was just incredible. Now I should say that um, doing this activity is not for everyone. And it is really only for people who are very, very serious about their spirituality, who intend to do something big with their spirituality, because you can't make it to those places unless you are. You don't get access. So you have to be really on the right purpose, doing the right things with your life and be damn serious about it in order to even have a chance of having a good experience with what I'm talking about. Because the process of getting to that other reality is very brutal. It's like being like put into like a like a, a disposal in your sink. Like you can like grind it up. 
your body and your mind feel like it's just being obliterated and you just have to be comfortable with that. So if you're not comfortable with, if you're not totally comfortable with death, if you're not totally, uh, if you're not totally engrossed in your own faith, you won't make it through those experiences. <laughs> you won't make it. Yeah. yeah it sounds bizarre. I, when I, what I did is I played around with the tincture and the microdosing for, I think it was around, I think it lasted me like three weeks or so playing around with anywhere from like two to four or five uh, grams on the microdose with the tincture. And then the tincture ran out and then I had 25 grams of the actual uh, mushrooms. And so you advised me to do the tea two nights in a row, split that in half basically. So I had like, actually, I think when I weighed it, it was like 26 grams instead of 25. So I think I did like 13 and 13 and for me, I felt like I could have done it higher, but it was like, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. So I just, it was cool. Um, and it was kind of bizarre. I had the same type of like reality. I was living in both nights, but it was kind of creepy because we were literally murdering people and, and, and covering it up. And I've not murdered anybody. I've seen one person get shot and murdered before in my Whoa. life. But that person was not in this reality. So I don't know if that was like some alternate reality i've lived in or whatever but it was super bizarre because we were like hiding people under the like dead bodies under the floor and all this like crazy shit and it, it seemed very real though when you're like when you know obviously you know you're in a, i was in this ominated dream where i was like we're, we're killing people right now like we're, I'm, we're covering it up and then like it was wild my one of my best friends was in doing it with me and like he was like, oh, don't worry, I got it. He's like, and then he called his lawyer, and then the lawyer was showed up, and it was Donald Trump. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then like I woke up at like four in the morning, like, what just happened? And then the same thing happened the next night, minus the the Donald Trump piece. But we were still like killing people and covering it up. It was like it went on both nights, the same type of thing. And. So I really didn't know how to even process that because I was like, maybe that was just like some other lifetime or something I've uh -huh. done in previous lifetime. I mean, I think we've probably all killed people if you've lived in, you know, they were killing everybody a couple hundred years ago. Like, it's really not that um, hard to believe that you were involved in some kind of killing or war or hanging. Like, if you've been around on this earth plane before, we used to do a lot more killing than we do now and uh, be a lot more, you know, uh, violent and kind of crazy but um what i did notice though uh, i liked the the part where for one you didn't really have to like clear the whole day and create space like you know i recorded a podcast did my normal things and then got to just do the experience at night and fall asleep and usually if i do like a higher dose of something else you can kind of feel like tired or off the next few days but with the amanita i actually felt like I had more in it. Like I felt better. Like it felt like I was like in this crazy dream world. I was very calm and centered, which happens a lot after different psychedelics as well. But this was like, my mind was really clear and I just felt like I had more energy and I was really stable, even though I couldn't really figure out why I was murdering people in the dreams. I still felt really fucking great the day after. And then I did it again the second night and oh the same dream happened and I felt amazing the next time too. So I want to get some more and play around with it, like with the psilocybin or with a little bit yeah. higher doses than what I took to kind of uh, see where that goes. But that was kind of my experience with it. Yeah. And so the important thing to, to note here is that it's an experience and that you're aware of that and that you're not like, you know, sh shattered mentally from seeing that, you know what I'm saying? Um, a lot of things can happen in life and in dreams that are shocking 
and how we process it is the point. And so when, when things like this come up on an Amanita trip, it's on you to see what it is about you, what message is trying to come through, right? What message? Maybe you're not killing people, but maybe you're burying problems. Is it, I mean, I'm not putting this on you. I'm just saying it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could just as an example, there could be another, another plenty of other explanations, but whatever a person, you know, whatever they feel about the experience and the way in which their emotions are moving, that's what the Amanita is showing you. How do your own emotions make your reality? Because if you move your emotions this way, you get this kind of experience. You move it this way, you get this kind of an experience. When you did it the way you did, you ended up John, Donald Trump as your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big okay. part. <laughs> somehow that's your, your way of looking at Donald Trump is somehow integrated into that. So there. And so um, all of this becomes fascinating when you understand the messages that are trying to be conveyed to you because the beings that are in higher dimensions, they don't speak in English. They can't talk. They don't usually talk to people in English. They'll just send you things that are messages. There are things like intuitions. You feel something, you feel like you need to hear a certain song, like you need to talk to a certain person. And that's the way it comes through while you're sleeping. It's in dreams while you're in a trip. It's something else. Um, It's not always the case that, Entities will just come and talk to you. This, 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 what I'm describing tends to be the way in which people discover spirituality. They start to see consistent things in experiences. Maybe it can be in dreams even. And you say, okay, well, I had this experience and then I had another one and another one. And these things were all similar. So that's telling me some information there that I can rely on. And you can, you know, you can use this with, uh, with intuit, intuit, intuitive skills, right? You can say, I had this feeling. And when I have this feeling, this happens. And that's consistent because I've seen it again and again and again. That means when I feel this feeling again, I can trust it to make my decision in advance. And this becomes a much more efficient way to live your life. When you start to live intuitively with the flow of things, that you start to see that things are already ordered. They're already constant. They're already organized. And that you just have to sort of figure out, figure out how they're ordered. And that's the fun of it, is figuring it out. So it's a puzzle. Yeah. I don't know if everyone would consider that type of experience fun, but I, I don't attach too much to it. I, I just literally take it at face value and try to see what I, I love exploring the stuff. I think it probably sounds super daunting to a lot of people, but um, I, I love whether it's a hard trip or a good trip. I, I know I've done a lot of breath work and a lot of meditations. So I'm usually at, well, Dominita, you're passed out. So you're just in it, but um you know, other medicines, I, I can breathe through it and get, you know, get centered. So, you know, this isn't real, but you're just experiencing this. And so I, I love exploring those different things. I like to just, you know, take it. We're here, we're in this physical body. Might as well explore a little bit if we can. And as long as it's not hurting anyone else, I, I enjoy it. But um, on the microdose level, this is where I think would probably be utilized by more people who aren't trying to get into this type of bizarre experience where you're killing people in your dreams, you know, and you can um, <laughs> like the microdose was real chill. Like I took it the first day. I instantly felt very calm, very relaxed, like more so than even like taking 200 milligrams of CBD or um, melatonin or magnesium. Like I felt 
very, very calm. And I got good sleep for the entire few weeks that I took it. And I, I felt like I had more energy throughout the day. And I had more of kind of like a level head. I wasn't, um, I'm not as edgy anymore. I'm, you know, super healthy, relatively got rid of most of my chronic conditions. So, you know, I'm not that edgy, but you can be just living in life and stress and staring at screens all day and shit like that. And so you can get a little edgy. And I felt like there was less of that. It was more stable and flow throughout the day. And I think a lot of people could really benefit from just trying the tincture. I mean, you can make the tea if you want. It's a little more time consuming, but the tincture just costs a few extra bucks and you can just take it really easy. I have the sleep supplement that I take at night um, from Bioptimizers. And then I would just put the two or three grams right in that and drink that like an hour before bed. And um, I would get good sleep. I'd feel good. It's legal. So that's like, there's a lot of positives to playing around with your tinctures. I would say that more people who are a little scared to go find a guy who grows mushrooms or some, you know, go to the jungle and do ayahuasca. Like you're literally can order it legally. The microdose isn't going to make you trip. And I think it's like really actually, in my opinion, probably the best starting point for people who are, a little bit more rigid, don't want to do anything illegal, and they don't really want to have a psychedelic trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that most people should just you try and you know try and need some microdose if you have issues with sleep or anxiety or you know tr- past traumas you're trying to work through. Uh, any of those things, it's very therapeutic. It's very gentle. It's microdose. You sleep well. You wake up feeling very refreshed. You can take it as long as you as long as you like. You never get tolerance to it, and you know just make sure that it's healthy for you. You don't have any negative interactions with medications or anything. Yeah, but the thing is that people can take it. I think that Amanita, because it's because it has these features, because it's legal and because it's soft and all that. I think Amanita is going to be the catalyst for the psychedelic revolution because people can get it now. And it's cheap, actually, very cheap compared to psilocybin, way cheaper than psilocybin. Mm-hmm. And people who have never tried a psychedelic can then try it. And then maybe they have some benefits and they have some changes that they like. And then that encourages them to look for other things. And this will push legalization because then more people want legalization. And I'm hoping that with some of my message uh, of what I say about spirituality, I'm hoping that that will help to bridge some of the gap between where people are at right now and where I think that society should be. I think that people should be way more connected with each other. I think people should be way more uh peaceful i think peace has to come first and i think that our our whole world is full of a lot of chaos and toxicity and that we have to find ways to be at peace first amanita has shown me the deepest peace beyond anything i could have ever imagined it is indescribable how beautiful it is when when I've been in the forest and taken an intermediate dose and go for a walk and you can just feel everything so vibrantly. And it's just clear. Everything's clear and calm and soft. And 
to experience another person in this way is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I like it. Um, you kind of mentioned something. I didn't have this in my notes, but I think we should touch on it uh, since we're here. Well, you kind of mentioned maybe it shouldn't be taken with certain medications or other substances. What What are the list of contraindications there? Well, you can't mix it with anything that's opium. So no kratom even. Uh, you want to be very careful of mixing it with any type of an NSAID or psychiatric medication of any type. That is something that individuals need to research if it is safe for them. I cannot make any claims on that. Uh, people that have liver issues maybe need to be careful. Definitely try to not drink alcohol the same time you drink Amanita. Pregnant women should not take it. Children should not take it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. If you want to get the most out of the Amanita experience, I should mention that you should try to do some work on your own before relying on Amanita. Try to do something on your own. Try to do your own uh, your own meditation or your own spiritual practices or your own emotional growth without 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 Amanita prior to taking it. It's better, but you don't have to. Yeah, I would say that with most medicines that if you go, like yeah. I said earlier, if you go into it and you've already done a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga and kind of, you know, I have before I ever even did any of these ceremonies, I listened to like a million and one podcast about what the experience should be like. So I was kind of I felt like once I got into the experience and it was a little crazy, like I was like, all right, I already, I've already heard about this before. And I've talked about this before. I have one experience where my body was shaking for like three, four hours, traumatic, would have been a traumatic experience if I have not already talked to somebody and heard about that happening to them. So then I was able to be like, okay, this can happen in this experience. But if I had I not known that, I would have probably, you know, had a lot more anxiety around what was going on inside of my body at that time. So I think people should, you know, some people say not to research because it can skew what you think is going to happen. And everybody has a different experience, but I felt more comfortable by having heard somebody's other experiences before jumping into it and then having the breath work and the yoga and meditation practices at hand as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I combine psychedelics with my meditative practices every day. Uh, essentially all, all you're all I'm going for is taking like an intermediate to microdose of psychedelics to get an expansion of my perceptions and my consciousness so that when I go into the meditation and when I go into my practices that I can go deeper and this has led me to be able to, to access things faster and, and progress faster. Yeah. Uh, I think you can combine them with other things, with other activities that are spiritual. And I believe that people need to get out of this whole idea that like psychedelics are for fun. It's like, no, they're not. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe small amounts can make people more sociable, but ultimately they're for spiritual attainment. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you can have fun at a concert or something on a concert dose or at a festival or yeah. something, but you know, that's smaller doses. Anything that's bigger, I, I've right. never taken a big dose of any kind of psychedelic at any festival or anything. A microdose is all I Yeah, don't do that. To kind of get that little bit, the lights look a little bit better. You know, the music, you can kind of feel the energy of 
the music. That's cool. I don't know how people go out into a music festival where so many people, all of that noise from the speaker systems and take like a bigger dose of mushrooms. That sounds crazy to me. Yeah, it's really bad because your energy gets all mixed with everyone around you and the environment and everything. And it's like, that's, that's, you don't want to be like feeling everything super sensitive when that place, you know, when there's all these sweaty people around you. <laughs> no, I, I, I've never, I've only done microdoses out there. I think like maybe a half a tab of acid or something, but even that's not like enough to blast you off. You know, um, that's like the most, and that was back when I just do all kinds of shit. I still never was like, Oh, I'm going to do a bunch of psychedelics out here. It freaked me the fuck out. So uh, I don't know about that, but people do it. Um, one thing at last question I had is you kind of, I've seen you, I think you say you smoke Amanita as well. And that's kind of more in the daytime. Um, so is that experience different from doing like the tea or the tinctures that you get a different body high from that? Oh yeah. Um, smoking it is a very light experience. You'll feel it for like, oh, like maybe 90 minutes, usually like 45 and it's just a very light sort of clearing of the mind and everything is just sort of calm and peaceful. You're very centered for a little bit. So it's really good for us to smoke it. If somebody, it just needs something to like cut the tension during the day, but still work and still function. If somebody still, you still got to work, you still got to do your job or whatever you drive a car, you can still function perfectly. You just sort of, you just sort of like, you know, clear. And are you smoking that with like, uh, like out of a pipe with any kind of other nicotine? Is it just the dry mushroom itself? Cause I know you're supposed to boil the mushroom to consume it. Is it just cool to smoke it without boiling it? Yeah, you can. Uh, I mean, boiling it, you would, you would make it wet. So you wouldn't be able to smoke right. it, but, uh, you, maybe you could bake it. I haven't tried that yet. Baking it prior to smoking it. I still gotta try that. Mm. Yeah. But you, you just, when you smoke it, it's just the actual, just raw. It's just the raw mushroom. Dehydrated mushroom. Okay, cool. Yeah. And do you like to mix nicotine or anything with that mixture? Oh, well, I, I smoke, uh, I smoke very thick mapacho tobacco every day. So I'm pretty okay. much mixing it, you know, on my own. But I, I smoke that, like, I smoke like, you know, two to three large bowls of mapacho per day. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of nicotine. Yeah. You, you lived in Brazil, so it makes sense. Yeah, but down there, I mean, down there, the guys will, there were guys who were 70, 80 years old, old maestros, and they were smoking like hard mapacho all day. And it's like pumping mapacho all day. Perfect health. They could sing all night long. Um, they were just all, they were badasses. <laughs> yeah. I think the obviously the way we've done cigarettes with the chemicals and everything is what makes it super more addictive, even though nicotine is addictive. And the oh, it's all the, the chemicals they throw in it, all the yeah, metals and terrible. shit. Why would you throw metal into a fucking why? Yeah, they yeah. want you to be sick or they want you to be addicted to it. And yeah. uh, you see these other cultures, they don't have the stress of work that we do. They don't have the level of toxins we do. They have more community and connection. And so they're able to experience like nicotine in a different way without the health problems or probably even can have drinks more often than we do. We over here, everyone's got backed up livers. We eat like shit. We have nutrient deficiencies. We're working 80 hours a week. So I think like a more balanced body like those in the jungle or somewhere in South America who aren't working themselves to death and have a better diet, they can handle some more of these substances better than we do, in my opinion. Yeah, it's... It's a part, part of it is that they live in a natural environment. 
so they're not exposed to all the toxic shit that we are with pollution and everything else and paint and all the industrial stuff that we have to be around. It's also the the diet that's healthier. So in South America, they have still they still have very rich fertile soil, especially in the Amazon. So the people have like people are healthier. They eat healthier as well. They have you know the Brazilian food is much healthier than the U.S. typically. In the U.S., the the nutrients in the soil have been depleted for like I don't know how many hundreds of years now. It's at least fifty years. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other problems with our food that everyone knows about. So when you have the combination in the U.S. of the constant pollution, all the toxic stuff, the food is no nutrients, uh, and you're encouraged to eat stuff that's like sugary and absolutely no- nutritionless, and most people do, well, you got a whole storm of problems there. <laughs> so, you know, you just throw a little, you know, needle on top of that hay you just throw a little hay piece of hay on top of that stack and uh the whole thing comes tumbling down you know what i'm saying it takes a very small problem to make the person ill at that point once their whole body is even debased like the foundation is removed of their health well then yeah it's very easy to get unhealthy um and so yeah these the people in the amazon dude these indigenous guys they were so fit and like so robust uh it was it, they were impressive people impressive i remember this one this one ceremony i went to with this fantastic page uh one of the best i've ever worked with i did diet with him and him and his wife did a, a ceremony it was only for facilitators there was about like 20 of us at the ceremony and it was 10 and a half hours and the guy and his wife stood there singing prayers in their language for 10 and a half hours without stopping. And the dude is like 70. By the end of it, I mean, he was, they were both like for totally exhausted. They were like, Ugh. but I mean, like, dude, 10 and, they, and the songs were beautiful. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. 30 year olds in America couldn't even pull that off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, you know, and they probably have full heads of hair and they don't have a lot of gray hair. Yes. And it's from it's from a mineral rich diet. I talk about minerals so much on this show. It's like my passion and it's the reason why I think people really need to supplement with a lot of minerals. It's actually what's what's fueling the sugar cravings is the is the lack of minerals inside of our diet from the soils. And so when you don't have minerals for your energy systems to run on what is it going to search for? It's going to search search for quick energy. What's quick energy? Sugar, high fructose corn syrup, whatever it may be. And then that stuff's all quick and available at every gas station. So it's right in your face. And then you're really having the craving for it because your body doesn't have the nutrition that it needs. And the ob- that's half the obesity problem as well. Because when the food's mineral content has changed so much from the depleted soils, but the calories haven't changed. You have a real big issue there. So you really want to figure out how to, you know, balance out your minerals. In my opinion, my food cravings have diminished dramatically since introducing minerals in the proper ratios based on my hair tests. And like, I almost never have cravings for like sweets and stuff now. And if it is, it's just like a little bit of raw honey, some dates, something like that. It's not like, Oh, let me get a pint of ice cream. You know, like I was in that mode. Uh, for quite a while, even though I was super healthy, I would get these like cravings that I felt like weren't me. And now that I've rebalanced out the minerals, removed a lot of parasites, I realized how much those, the toxicity was actually controlling those cravings. It wasn't even me. It wasn't even my actual identity who wanted the 
pint of ice cream. It was like something else inside of my body saying, feed me or give me quick energy. And a lot of people don't realize that they're really, uh, they want to be healthier, but their body needs that quick dose of energy due to the nutrition deficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Cool. Uh, one one last question before we jump off here. I know you have to forage Amanitas. They can't basically be grown like um, like other psilocybin, which is one of the main reasons why I love psilocybin, because I think it's going to be like the most sustainable. Like people can just grow it in their fucking closet or in a tent, like, you know, whatever, super easy and get, get a bunch and have enough for them and all their community if they wanted to. Um, but with Amanitas, you have to be out, you're like out here literally wild foraging all of these mushrooms. So say you're, you keep putting your message out, you know, you're, I've already introduced you to multiple people who you're going to be on their show and you've done Luke's show. So if it blows yep. up, is there enough for everybody to like do Amanitas or would we kind of run it dry? Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, the most of the Amanitas are foraged in other countries and they're foraged in Asia, you know, in Europe. And so a, a lot of people forage them and there's, there's a steady supply. Uh, a, a friend of mine has a business. He has, I believe, a thousand tons of Amanita. Oh. I don't know the exact number. Maybe a hundred, hundred tons, hundred kilos, whatever. He has a huge amount of Amanita on stock in his freezer. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of this to go around. Um, you know, I personally, if my business explodes, I wouldn't be able to personally fill all of the orders. Uh, like I got back from Brazil in July and in about a week, I'll be out of Amanita from that, which was 23 kilos total. So once, you know, I can't like, I can physically only get so much at a time, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, once things pick up, I think what I've been pondering on is, is actually making a, a separate company where the Amanitas come in, you know, from anywhere. And then that is where you know, I'll operate and everything, but that will be for the general public, for people who just want to buy Amanita um, and they just want to have the product. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing my own private uh, company where I like exclusively make the products for people. Like I make the, I do the foraging and make the products and everything. And I'm thinking about that, but we'll see. Uh, we kind of got to see where things take off and, and where things go. Uh, I'm pretty confident though that the next year is going to be gigantic for Amanita. I just, everything is pointing to that. Uh, you know, it's what the earth needs. It's, you know, it's what the people need. It's what everybody wants. Everybody wants things to get better and be more peaceful and less of the, like, just the nonsense. You know what I'm saying? There's so much absolute, absolutely unacceptable things that are happening in front of us every day. And people are so close to, to just being done with it. You know what I'm saying? I think it's only going to take a little, a little thing to happen that people are just going to be done with this system. <laughs> and they're going to need a lot of Amanita to get through that. <laughs> That's what I think. Tur turbulent times for sure. Getting through that. Yeah. But I do, I do envision a future of people uh, relying less on big government and 
moving more out of the cities, having their own food and their farms and kind of quit giving into big ag and doing permaculture and regenerative ag. I really, that's actually my, my passion for, you know, as I keep growing in business and everything, if I accumulate enough money, I, I definitely am going to buy some land and grow my own food. That's actually a mission of mine. So I don't know if it'll be 10 years or what, but I, I plan to, not retire. I'll probably still have the podcast and still take clients and stuff, but I, I do want to be able to be fully just be able to work from the computer and grow a bunch of food and chill out with my family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what everyone's going to look forward to. So, you know, if we end up going through some times like 2020 where everyone's kind of stuck at home, you know, everyone's kind of sitting around, not got nothing to do. Well, you might as well try some ceremonies, you know, get some cannabis, get some amanita whatever you can get access to and explore. Yeah. Did we leave anything out about Amanita? You think we covered it all? Oh, um, I mean, there's always more to cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see if there's anything else I want to say. Oh, I, I, I do want to say, yeah, because you were talking about foraging. This is my little foraging clothes here. Um, you know, I wear a lot of different suits and it's, it's very fun to sort of be able to, I mean, have a life I have where I can like go out into the woods and run around looking for mushrooms. And that's my job. (laughs) Um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I feel very blessed that I'm, that I'm able to do that. And that I'm was given this opportunity even by higher power to be able to do this. And I'm, I'm very happy with that. Um, I, I love everything I do and I'm very passionate to bring it to people. If anyone out there is interested in Amanita, you want to learn more about it, you want to um, get some, you can check out my Instagram. It's at Amanita Warriors. And my website is AmanitaWarriors.com. And I'm willing to, um, you know, talk to people about what they need. So if anyone, anyone who has, anyone who buys products from me, they're always welcome to discuss with me what their experience was what they need and, and what they felt like uh, something didn't go right or whatever. All, any issues they have, I can discuss with them. Um, I just I want to help people try this and get used to it, you know, for everyone to heal. Beautifully said. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Maybe we'll do it again one day. Wonderful. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.